Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast and being a part of our church family here at New Hope. Our senior pastor, Dr. Benji Kelly, is currently leading us through the entire Bible in a series called The Story. Now here's Dr. Kelly with this week's podcast. Come on, would you just welcome all the campuses, all 10 campuses everywhere. Welcome. We love you guys at all the campus locations. Hey, um, I missed you last week. I missed you. It was Father's Day, and uh, I know I shared with you last week via video. Happy Father's Day to all of the dads here. Just want to say happy Father's Day. I want to say two things about that. Number one, I just want to thank the men who joined me in the cabin for that video last week. And secondly, I want to honor and thank our amazing productions team who once again produced an absolutely unbelievable video that encouraged and inspired dads all over the movement. Yes, yes, well done. Secondly, I just want to give you a little update on Charleston. I do it uh, knowing that it's a risk, uh, hoping that it won't get us on a downer. Uh, please don't let it because um, the, the weekend was, was quite emotional. It was an emotional roller coaster. Um, for those of you who don't know, I went to Charleston last week to stand once again with the beautiful people of God known as the historic Mother Emanuel AME Church. Uh, some of you might recall that last year after that brutal, horrific, dastardly murder of nine innocent people who were studying the Word of God with their pastor, I felt drawn last year to go to Charleston uh, on the weekend that the Confederate flag came down off of the state grounds. Most of you know I'm from South Carolina, and so uh, I have a heart for that state. I'm so thankful that we have a campus over there in Columbia, and we'll hopefully spread on out across South Carolina. Can I get an amen? amen. Well, uh, I went last year when the flag came down, and then... This year, I was invited to come back as a part of the Gideon 300 uh, on the one-year anniversary of that event. And I'll make it real quick, but I just would, I would say to you today, it was an emotional roller coaster. It was utterly exhausting. Um, it, my emotions spanned from uh, sadness to incredible joy and, and how God has been redeeming that situation and building something beautiful in that community to um, uh, anger. Anger. I get angry about things like this. I just need to confess that. To um, celebration, to um, uh, just any emotion you can imagine, I tapped on it. We started Thursday night, and uh, I got to do something that I really didn't get to do last year. I got to spend a lot of time with the families, the victims. And that was a very powerful thing to hear their stories and see their tears and pray with them. Uh, then Friday morning, Friday morning, we started at like 8 o'clock at the historic St. Michael's Church in downtown Charleston. And uh, that was a small group of us. But then we joined a large group and we marched uh, through downtown Charleston to the arena. And we had our first worship celebration that morning with um, all kinds of political figures and spiritual leaders and all of the paparazzi you can imagine. They were all over the place. And then that led us into a day of worship. I, I went to, uh, I think it was five worship celebrations on Friday. God help me. <laughs> it was like, I ended up, it's like eight and a half hours of worship. Now, I love God. But eight and a half hours of worship, and plus it was, like I said, emotionally exhausting. I was done at the end of the night. Uh, it ended, check it out, this was really cool. It ended with us worshiping at the final service at the very time that um, a one such Dylan Roof, I hesitate to even say his name, um, shot the nine victims. And so that was pretty powerful, just weeping and emotional at that point in time. And then, of course, I was there on Sunday, and uh, we just celebrated and, and, and honored God and thanked God for what he had done. So I really just come back to say this. Um, I was honored to go and represent you, New Hope. We, we truly, truly have a sister church in Charleston, South Carolina. They feel uh, blessed by New Hope. They, they feel like we are in solidarity with them and um, I just wanted to thank you for, A, letting me go and represent this movement, and B, being a church that would get excited about such things. Amen. You can clap for that, sister. I see somebody over Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for being that. 
Okay, so now, now we're ready for the word. How's that for a downer? <laughs> um, hey, so we're, we're in today one of the most epic battle scenes in all of Scripture. It is the historic, famous passage, one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture called David and Goliath. Everybody say David and Goliath. Now, the thing about David and Goliath you need to know before we really get into this is that it's an underdog story. Who, who likes an underdog? Almost everybody I know, they like an underdog. We love to pull for the underdogs. It was an epic rivalry between a Philistine army and the ancient Israel army, the army of God. And it was intense, and it was a rivalry. And it speaks to us on many different levels. And this is one of the reasons, by the way, many of us like sports. How many of you love sports? Love sports. All right, godly people. How many of you hate sports? Let's just have an invitation right now. You folks need Jesus. Um, I love sports. I admit it. I coach baseball, basketball, and football. I just love, 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 love sports. And if you know anything about sports, you know the, the better the rivalry, the better. Right? And uh, so I thought I'd, I thought I'd just show you, show you a few pictures. Um, anybody remember Terry Bradshaw? Any Terry Bradshaw fans in the house? Come on. Come on, come on. What, what, what about this cat? Joe Montana. That was a little rivalry. Who? The young people are like, I don't even know those people. I know. I know, dude. You were way too young. How many of you, um, you prefer Terry Bradshaw over Joe Montana? I am highly disappointed in this church. I'm talking the Steel Curtain, man. John Stallworth, Lynn Swan, Franco Harris, right? They were the bomb. Terry Bradshaw. How many of you like Joe Montana over Terry Bradshaw? Joe Theismann. Ooh, remember Joe Theismann? How many young people don't even know him either, but the older people remember. How many of you, for the life of you, you cannot get it out of your mind the day his shin snapped? A brother over here is going, I know, it was horrible. I mean, just bam, like a toothpick. Um, get you some of that. Anyway, um, oh, Magic Johnson. Right? Magic was the man. Dave Robinson, any Dave Robinson pans? Great godly man. Loves the Lord, leader in his church. Great, great godly uh, player in the NBA. Michael Jordan, baby. How many of y'all still think he's the best player that ever played basketball? Nah. He's good. I ain't going to lie about it. All right. So, so that was Michael back then. This is Michael now. I don't know if you know this. This might be news to you. This thing is really sweeping momentum in our country. It's called Crying Jordan. And our young people are eating this thing up. It's like every, if you get sad, everybody just likens you to Crying Jordan. And I don't know. I, I, feel, I just want to hug Jordan right here, man. I just want to give him a little love because he went from that to that. And part of it's probably his own problem because he doesn't really talk to media and he's kind of going into the shadows. And so, you know, all these years later, people are kind of giving him a hard time. Anyway, anyway, let's continue. Let's continue. You bunch of sinners in the hands of an angry God. That's those of you who are booing. If you're a guest, he's not really an angry God. I'm kidding. Grant Hill, man, great philanthropist, right? Unbelievable player at Duke and then went on to the NBA, had a great career. Um, but, you know, hey, we, we need to be inclusive, right? Because I always hear from you Wolfpack people. Yeah, all you ever talk about is Duke, Carolina, South Carolina people. Where are the game cards? I know, I know. And, 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 and my need to be fully inclusive. Um, uh, dude, Really? So I come home from Charleston on Sunday, and my daughter, my sweet little daughter, freshman in college at this <clears throat> school right here, she, 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 said, she said, Dad, I got you a gift, and uh, I'm a Carolina dad, and I'm excited about it. I'm so excited. I'm so excited about it. Um, but again, need to be inclusive. Let's get on over to some other schools. Many of you might remember, I think it was 1983. Come on. Jim Valvano, unbelievable man who fought cancer. Right? They won the national championship. I know it's hard to believe. I know. But Jesus rose from the dead, too. So, um. Let's continue. If you don't watch sports, this is a man by the name of LeBron James. 
or as my, one of my sons calls him, Lebron. That's Lebron. So we're talking about underdog today. You're not going to believe this. Like a week ago today, a week ago today, the Cleveland Cavaliers came back and won the NBA championship for the first time in NBA history. They came back from a three-to-one deficit and won the championship. And here's what you need to know. I know he doesn't look like an underdog, but he was the underdog. He was the underdog to this brother. Oh. Oh. Now, he looks like the underdog. But they were up three to one. And this brother can play. And FYI, we have a person on staff who went to Davison who is friends with Steph Curry. And I keep telling her, you need to get Steph Curry up in the New Hope house. How many of you would fully support me sitting on this stage and interviewing Steph Curry? Absolutely. By the way, unashamedly Christian, loves the Lord Jesus, born again, is a great, great man. But I told you LeBron, LeBron, LeBron was the uh, underdog, but you wouldn't know it from this picture. That happened... Uh, game six and game seven, LeBron just slapped the ball, just slapped it almost out of the arena and turned around and looked at Steph Curry like, who you think you are? <laughs> right? Came back and won it. We're talking about underdogs. We're talking about one of the greatest epic battles of all time in the Word of God. Open up your Bibles or your binders. Come on. Open up your binders. Get your teaching notes ready. Open up to chapter 11 in your storybook. If you're new around here today, we're in a series called The Story. We're making our way all the way through Scripture. Go to our resource center. We encourage you to get one of these and join us. It's never too late to join a series, especially one like this. Check it out, church. We are a third of the way through. Hard to imagine. We are a third of the way through this longest series we have ever done. We're in chapter 11, from shepherd to king. Samuel is led to a town called Bethlehem. Interesting side note. We'll make that connection at the end of the message today. He goes to Bethlehem, and he is engaged in the process of finding Israel their next king. He goes, and he finds a man by the name of Jesse. Everybody say Jesse. Jesse, hard to believe, had more youngins than I do. He had eight sons. Samuel goes and he talks to Jesse and he's trying to find the next king of Israel. And Jesse brings seven of his boys before Samuel. Seven. Now, again, one of the things I'm loving about this series is some of you are starting to connect many dots in Scripture. And light bulbs are going off as you're starting to see how the whole of Scripture fits together. You will recall when we were in the series on the book of Revelation, not Revelations... Revelation, you will recall that I tried my best to teach you the significance and the symbolism involved in the numbers in the book of Revelation. In the Bible, the number seven, the number seven you might recall, equals completion. Write it in. Seven equals completion. So Jesse brings out his seven sons. But guess what? There's another son. And Jesse, as if to say, don't, let's not count him. The Bible actually refers to him as the runt, the runt of the litter, if you know what I mean. He's out attending to the sheep. Jesse brings his seven as if to say, pick from these seven. And they ask, do you have any more? So he said, well, I have one more. He's kind of a little old dude. He's kind of our runt. You don't really want to say, no, 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 bring him. So total of eight. The, the number eight in the Bible means new beginnings. It means new beginnings. Again, just a little side note in the scripture to, to help us understand that what we're seeing here is not only a new beginning for ancient Israel, but I'm, I'm convinced that if you will let today, today could be a new beginning for you. Hallelujah. David represents a new beginning in Israel's history. And what we can learn from David, again, I am certain of it, could indicate and mark a new beginning for you and your life today. You see, Saul wound up off course. 
Saul, you might recall, was tall. He was a head above everybody else. He was, he was a handsome leader. He, he played the part, if you will, on the outside. But if you read the Bible, you understand that Saul got off track. Saul started to lack things like integrity and honesty and being the real deal. And the moment you start to lack those things, God can take you out of the game. Never forget that. And what this Bible teaches us today when we think about this particular passage, and this is kind of our memory verse today. I want you to remember this. I want you to quote this to yourself all week long. And why don't we start that right now? Let's read it out loud together. Go. The Lord does not look at the things human beings look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the Lord looks at the what? See, we have this this tendency to just judge people and measure people and even judge ourselves based upon the outward appearance. But the Bible reminds us today, no 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 no, God looks at the what church? God looks at the heart. And so as we think about this scripture, we find this in verse 12 of 1 Samuel 16. You read that one so well. Come on. Hey, we got a lot of scripture today. You folks love the word of the Lord? Amen. Ready? Go. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance about him. But he was the youngest he was the runt of the family. And maybe you're here today and you've never been able to look in the mirror and feel like you quite measure up. Maybe you're here today and you kind of think you're the runt, if you will. Maybe not physically, but maybe so. Maybe in your pedigree. Maybe in your college education. Whatever the case may be. I wanted to let you know today that God looks at the inside of your life and not the outside of your life. God knows your heart. And so as, as Jesse brings David to the table, and he doesn't quite measure up in man's eyes, they decide to give David the anointing. Come on, let's go. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. So David, listen closely, this is really important. David was anointed in this very moment. He was anointed to the kingship. But check it out. He didn't actually become king for many years later. In fact, the best we can tell, it was around 14 years later before he stepped into his kingship. I just dropped by today to let you know some of you have been anointed for something that you will not see come to pass until later down the road. Could it be that God wants to drop some seeds into your heart and into your mind and into your life in this season? And though you might want to see the favor and the blessings come now, often what we need to do is learn to wait on God. And often the favor and the blessing of your kingship, if you will, your queenship, whatever greatness God has destined you to be and become, might just be years down the road. Never underestimate what God might be doing now, the seeds he might be dropping into your life now that will germinate and only bear fruit later. Come on now. And some of you, that could be happening right now as God's calling you to a new season. So what we find in 1 Samuel 17 is this passage that's just unfolding. There's, there's this incredible battle that's taking place. Now get, get the visual in your mind. There's two big hills. And um, in, the, in the Old Testament time, this is really how battles would start. You can call them mountains if you want, but it'd be like mountains in South Carolina. Not really mountains, if you know what I mean. They're just hills. And on top of the, the hills, the two armies would square off at each other. And there was a valley in between the two hills. And so on one side of the hill, you have Goliath. Goliath, a champion who knew not of losing any battle. He's up on top of this hill, and they're looking across at the Israelite army where you got runty little David, short little pitiful little David over here probably about four feet tall, and you've got Goliath over here, which by the way, history teaches us 
was about 10 feet tall. In fact, he would have come a little short of 10 feet. He would have looked down on LeBron <laughs> like this. Look, look, look at this passage. Look at this. Well, first of all, a picture. This is, this is the way in which artists have tried to capture this battle between David and Goliath. See how runty little David is? This is Goliath. Let's look at this verse. Here we go. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. The best we can tell... He was over nine feet tall, a little short of ten feet tall. Now, church, get a visual of it. That means he could post up in the paint, baby. <laughs> Basketball fans got that. He could post up in the paint, and his head would touch the rim or thereabout. Goliath could post up, stretch out his arms, and touch the back, or the top, I should say, of the backboard. He knew not of losing any battles. And so they're, they're on this, this scene where there's two hills. And, and Goliath is up on top of this hill with the Philistine army. And David is on top of this, this hill with the Israelite army. And the smack talk begins. I'm talking smack talk. I'm talking the way in which Duke and Carolina engage in smack talk come game time. It starts and it gets bad and it lasts for 40 days. They are talking smack to one another and it gets intense. And 1 Samuel 17 says this. David asked those standing near him, What will be done to the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? The smack talk had gotten so bad that David started to conclude, this is a disgrace to us. Goliath, all he does is get up every single morning and he just starts running his big mouth at Israel. David looks around at the Israelite army and he can tell that they were losing it. You guys know, if any smack talkers in the house, don't, don't you dare lie in the house of the Lord. Any of you, any, you, any of you, you just talk smack naturally. It just comes, oh, now you're getting honest. See, one of the goals of talking smack in sports is that you get in the head of your enemy. You get in the head of your competition. Goliath was talking so much smack. David looked around at his army, and he could see it in their eyes. It was in their, it was in their head. They, they started to coward back. It was kind of like the way in which Cleveland took down the Warriors. I, I, I'm convinced of this, by the way, no joking aside. I'm convinced that when they went down 3-1 to one, and then Cleveland won that next game and LeBron would slap those shots and he'd look down at Curry like, who do you think you are? Uh, I'm it got in Curry's head. And they came back from the greatest upset ever, never been done before. David looks around at his army and he can see it. It's in their heads. They're starting to coward. They're starting to get scared. And David does what leaders do. David actually came. And he said, he asked those standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this, what's that word right there? Disgrace. Disgrace. He's disgracing us, guys. You're going to let him talk that smack and get in your head? Watch this. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? <laughs> Who is this scrub? Ten foot tall guy and the little old runty one is saying, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy? Now guys, write this down in your notes. The armies of the what? The what? Now check this out. In this particular passage, and in this particular battle scene, this is the first time God br was brought into the equation. This was the very first time the living God 
was brought into the equation. And I'm here to let you know that makes all the difference. David realizes that this is a battle not between himself and Goliath, not between Israel and the Philistines. This was a battle that God was going to get involved. And I want to let you know with God on your side, you always make a majority. It doesn't matter what you're up against. If God is on your side, you and God always make a majority. I put it like this in your teaching notes. David brings God into the picture and reminds everyone that the army of Israel is the army of the living God. And God then starts to move and you start to sense that the, the, the environment changes Israel is reminded, yeah, even though he is a 10-foot-tall, disgraceful, uncircumcised, whatever. If God is on our side, if the battle, come on, truly belongs to God, then we're going to walk out of here victorious. Come on. Let's go one more time. Let's go to some more scripture. Let no one lose heart. On account of this Philistine, your servant will do what? Now, Israel's looking at David going, really? You, you, really? You're going to go take on Goliath? The one who has never, ever lost a battle? You are going to go and fight him? Let's continue. Saul replied... <laughs> You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me... I seized it by its hair, struck it, bam, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. David is basically saying to Saul, you have no idea how bad I am. I am a bad man. You've been doing your thing. I've been out there protecting your sheep, and I have killed lions and bears. Let's continue. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Hello. Because he has defied, David keeps bringing it back to God. He has defied the armies of the living God. Amen. The Lord who rescued me. From the paw of the lion, look where he puts the emphasis. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. All right. Can, can you see, can you feel the confidence that he has? See, some of you need to hear this today. I don't even know if I was planning on saying this today. There's a difference between confidence and arrogance. There's a, there's a huge difference between confidence and arrogance. And some of you have never really been able to embrace being confident in who you are and being confident in the battles you fight because you're too worried that it's going to come across as arrogance. But arrogance is very different than confidence. Arrogance is built upon your own self-esteem. Arrogance is built upon your own abilities. Arrogance comes out of an insecure place. That is very different than confidence in God. Confidence in God when a man or a woman understands that the battles that they are facing belong to God. When a man or a woman understands that they walk not in their own strength and not in their own power, but that the battles belong to God. He's in me. He fights in me. And if you come after me as my enemy, you are going to fight God. And so a man or a woman is able to have a, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to say it, but a, but a Holy Spirit swaggered, if you will. A, a, a Holy Spirit confidence, not arrogance. Because the confidence 
that is placed in God knows that if God steps up and wins the battle today, nobody gets glory but God and God alone. He is the one who gets all my praise and my glory. Look at this. Look at this. Some of, you, this, some of you came just for this today. Some of us need to stop telling God how big our problems are and instead start telling our problems how big our God is. Whoa, that'll change your life. Some of you, all you do, and I can slip into this too, so I'm not preaching at you. I'm in this with you. If we're not careful, we can just start telling God how big our problems are. And I don't know, but we sometimes think we're like letting God know something that he didn't already know. When you start complaining to God about your problems all the time, it's not like God is up in heaven going, oh, <laughs> I didn't know. Thank, thank you for enlightening me. Instead of telling God, this, is, this, is, this can change your life. It can change your prayer life. Instead of telling God how big your problems are, what if this new beginning meant for you that you start telling your problems how big your God is? Come on. That'll, that'll change everything. Because then you're able to stand up and square your shoulders and with a Holy Spirit-infused confidence, you can face the giants that you're up against. You can face the battles that, that have been put in your path and you can look them square in the face and talk to them and proclaim the goodness and the power and the might of Almighty God because the battle, if you're walking with God, belongs to Him and not you. Again, stop, stop telling God how big your problems are. Start telling your problems how big God is. Here, here's the next stop, if you will, statement that I just wanted to share with you today. Notice that David puts on Saul's armor. If you know the part of the Bible here, David puts on Saul's armor, and what happens? It just doesn't fit. It, does, it doesn't work. Some of us need to stop trying to be someone else and start truly being who God has destined you to be in Christ. In our culture that is infatuated with social media and looking into other people's life, this is a word that some of you desperately need to hear. Some of you are so wrapped up and consumed with living other people's lives through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever the case may be, and it's a very fine line and you slip right into romanticizing their lives and starting to try and live and be someone that you are not. Hey, Again, this is not even in my notes, just a side note. Have you ever noticed how you can spend hours on Facebook or Twitter and you walk away depressed? You ever notice this? Have you ever thought about why? Listen, listen. Because you're looking at the highlight reel of someone's life. So here's what we do. We look at other people's lives in and through social media or some of you are obsessed with Hollywood figures or whatever or artists. And you look at these people's lives and what you don't, and then, and then by the way, you look at your life. <laughs> and you're like, really? And what you don't realize is you're looking at the highlights of their lives, but you're living the reality of your life. So you, so you need to stop trying to emulate someone else and just start being you. You do you. In a positive kind of way. You, you do you. You are a gift to planet earth from almighty God. You are the only person who can really be you. And if you choose not to do you and you just get obsessed with being somebody that you are not. You rob us from your gift. And who you are. So stop it. Cut it out. You only have one fingerprint that's yours. You are sacred. The Bible says God formed you intimately in your mother's womb. The Bible says God knows the number of hairs on your head. And I know for some of us that is decreasing every year. But God still keeps count. Come on now. Look at your neighbor and say, you do you. You do you. You do you. 
We need you to do you. So, so David is stepping into this identity, and, and look at what happens here. The Philistine who's been talking smack, right? He looks at little old runty David, little old runt, and he says, in such sarcasm, you got to see this dripping with sarcasm, am, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Goliath looks at David like, you're an idiot. I'm about to eat your lunch. Look at what happens. 45, verse 45 of 17. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, everybody say this day. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, you tall <laughs> and I'll strike you down and I'll cut off your head get you some of that this very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the animals not only do I come at you in the name of the Lord I'm going to take you down not only am I going to take you down I'm going to cut off your flipping head and, and not only am I going to cut off your head, I'm going to feed you. The great outdoors is going to get better. You're going to be an entree, baby, to the birds and the animals. And the whole world, the whole world will know what? Will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. Come on, church. For the battle is the Lord's, and He will give all of you into our hands. And the battle, come on, goes down. So they still got the smack talk. They've kind of come off the hill, they're in the valley. What do you think David does? He just laid it out on the line. David's got two choices. <laughs> sometimes people who talk smack, if, if, you, if you've been around fighting much, sometimes people who talk smack, they're great at talking smack until, until it gets real. <laughs> you've been around these people, right? They talk a lot of smack, but they don't have any backbone to, to back it up. Well, look at what happens next. Little old runty David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. So David is talking smack. He says, I'm not only going to take you down, I'm going to cut your head off. I'm going to feed you to the animals. And right then, Philip, the, the, the Goliath might have taken a move toward David. I don't know. But David had two choices. I can either put the tail between my legs and run, or I can go toward the battle in front of me. And he runs. He, he sprints towards Goliath. So David triumphed. Over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and what, church? And killed him. One of the most epic historic battles in all of Scripture. I want to talk to you about two takeaways and I'm done today. Two takeaways from this most unbelievable passage of Scripture. Here, here's the first one. This underdog story is not about our agenda, but God's agenda. Hello. See, if you're not careful, you'll take a passage like today, and you'll just start to think, erroneously so, by the way, you'll start to think, well, with God on my side, I can, I can win any battles. And what you'll do is you'll start to have your agenda. And your agenda is not what this is about. In other words, David's story, the underdog story, really only worked because David's agenda was God's agenda. David inserted God into the equation. David became, in Scripture, as most of you know, a man after God's own heart. The underdog story of David and Goliath really only worked because David's agenda was God's agenda. And it forces me to ask you this question today. Whose agenda are you living for? It also, it also forces me to say this to you today. Listen to this. If your battles aren't ending up victoriously as you desire them 
to do. It might be that you're fighting for your agenda instead of God's agenda. God is not this chub that we can put in our pocket and he's going to fight any agenda that we have. The reason this story is so powerful and the reason God stepped in and allowed a little old runty dude to take down a 10-foot tall Goliath, monstrous of a dude, if you will, is because David's agenda was God's agenda. Some of you are here today and you've never really decided that your agenda is really not going to be your agenda at all. But it's going to be God's agenda. Some of you are here today, and the truth is, you've just almost given God your life. Some of you are here today, and you're married, and as a couple, both of you have never fully said, God, your agenda is our agenda. You've just given God a part of your marriage. Some of you are here today, and you've taken life, if you will, and you, you've kind of broken it down into many different compartments. And God has some compartments. God is truly Lord, which, by the way, Lord means master. God is master over some compartments of your life. But, but you've never really said to God, you know what? I'm going to stop playing games with you today, and I'm going to make you the master and the Lord of my entire life. Some of you are here today, and your vocation is is. Is not really God's agenda. You, you go to work and you, you compartmentalize your life. You, you're kind of a Sunday kind of Christian. And on Sunday, man, you're all about God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. How you doing? I'm doing good. God is good. How you doing? Oh, I'm good. God is good. Praise the Lord. And then you step into work on Monday, and he's not the master of your work life. You don't, you don't live with that internal integrity of the heart some of you some of you might tell the truth on Sundays but on the rest of the week you, you lie like a some of you some of you speak on Sundays one way or in life group one way when you get out man you talk like a sailor and you're just almost God's you're just, you're just almost a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Can I tell you something? Write this down, please. Almost never works with God. Almost never works with God. I'm almost going to give God my life. doesn't work with God. I'm almost going to honor God with my finances. It doesn't work with God. It, it, it's my calling to let you know that doesn't work. Hey, hey, I'm going to love God on Sunday, but then I'm kind of single and I'm dating. And I, I, I'm almost going to give God my sexuality, but not really on Friday or Saturday night. God looks at the heart, not the outward appearance. Oh, my own business, and I go to church, and, and I tithe. I, I tithe. I really do. I tithe, but no one really knows that most of the money I make is dirty money. Almost never works with God. And I love you enough to tell you that. Probably the thing I've said most of this church in the last 18 years, if you could just kind of summarize, the, the, what, what's, what's his most popular quote, right? What's he, what's he said the most of? I've seen about that this week. This is probably the one, at least it's in the top five. God wants all of you, or he wants none of you. I think you can read the Bible from start to finish, and, and that's the message. He wants all of you, or he wants none of you. Don't get me wrong. That's just that's the smaller message under the larger message. And the larger message is God loves you. The larger message is God went on a life-saving, sin-forgiven mission to claim you and make you an adopted child of God. Yes, that is the gospel within the gospel. But almost never works with God. 
so I wonder today if some of you are here and what you really need to do more than anything is you need to give your whole life to God. I'm not a gambler. Um, if you are and you have gambling issues, you need help. Um, but I will confess to you that when I'm watching TV sometimes, and I don't watch a lot of TV, but I will confess to you that every now and then when I come across ESPN and they have Texas Hold'em on, oh, and I normally don't watch it long. I can normally move along pretty quickly again because I'm not a gambler. I've never had problems with gambling. But, but if I'm surfing along, I mean, I don't watch a lot of TV, but every man kind of has that moment where you just need to hit the couch and exercise with this finger. You know what I mean? And so I'll be surfing sometimes, and I'll come across Texas Hold'em. And, and I can usually move on pretty quickly, but there's this one moment in, in poker where if I see it going down, I can't leave. I, I can't turn the channel. The thumb freezes, if you will. It's that moment when the, the gambler, the man or the woman, they are certain they've got a winning hand, and they say what? Oh, you watch some of it too. And when, when a man or a woman says, I'm going all in, and they push all that coin into the middle of the table, and it's usually millions of dollars, and they push it, I can't leave. And they're normally so excited, they can't even stay seated. Normally they, they go, I'm all in, and then they just have to stand up. Have you ever gone all in with God? You ever pushed in all your chips and said, you know what? God, I'm tired of playing games. I'm tired of giving you half of my life or compartments of my life. Because here's what you need to know. Regardless of looks, regardless of pedigree, regardless of education, regardless of church history or participation or lack thereof, when a man or a woman says, God, I'm going all in with you, that is when God says, that is a man, that is a woman that I will fight for. That is a man, that is a woman in which I will come in and live inside of them and help them take down the giants that they face week in and week out. Because that person's agenda is my agenda. Take down number two and, and I'm done. David's takedown is a foreshadowing of the greater takedown to come. You're like, what are you talking about? What do you mean by that? Those of you who know the Bible, and again, this is why this series is so good. You're going to start seeing pieces of the Bible fit together as a puzzle. One of Jesus' titles in the New Testament was Son of David. Check this out. Come on. Just as David came out of Bethlehem, hello, so did Jesus. Just as David was anointed with the Spirit... So was Jesus. Just as David brought deliverance, so did Jesus. Just as David was misunderstood and accused of all sorts of things, so was Jesus. And just as David defeated Goliath in an unconventional way, so Jesus defeated Satan and the power of sin in a way that nobody saw coming. David would be defined throughout all of history, listen, as a man after God's own heart. Do you want to have a heart like God? I, by the way, I, I got I to tell you, if you need to know anything about your pastor, that's what I want to have. I want to be a man after God's own heart. How about you, bro? Seriously, talking to the dudes in the house. Have you ever said, all in? I want to have a heart after God's own heart. Hey, lady, how about you? How about you? Have you ever said, I want to be a woman after God's own heart? One last time, memory verse. The Lord does not look at the things human beings look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the. If you want Him to look at your heart, take up residence inside your soul and fight your battles for you, you got to go all in. You got to make your agenda God's agenda. And I want to invite you to do that today.
Because if we have a tendency to do anything, do we not? It is that we, we can do that one day, but we can slowly but surely take our own agenda, put ourselves back on the throne. And I was just impressed this week to challenge us as a church, every single person here, to go all in with God. So I want to pray. And then I want you to stay put, if you would, because at all of our campuses, the, the worship teams are going to come out and sing a song over us. You can stay seated. No need to stand. No need to even sing. We, we want to sing this over you. And I want this to be a part of the message. It's just for you to pray. If you want to close your eyes and let the words of this song minister to you, please do. And then when that song's over, we're going to we're going to stand and we're going to sing one final song today. And it too is an invitation. After the song that we sing over you, the response song is a song for us to stand up. And with arms wide open, say, God, I'm all in. Pray with me. Father, I want to thank you for um, this unbelievable story in Scripture. God, I want to thank you for your children who have gathered here today, Lord, and as always, they're just so, they're so humble, God, they're so hungry, and I can see it in their eyes, God, this is what they deeply desire, and Lord, it's scary at times, but I pray that you would infuse within them a spirit of confidence, God. I pray that you would infuse within them a spirit of surrender. As we sing this song over them, Father God, that they would literally open up their hearts and their minds and their lives, God, and declare to you, and it be legit, God. Hey, I'm all in, God. I'm tired of playing games. I'm tired of giving you only a part of my life. I want to have a heart like David. May it be so today, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being a part of this week's podcast. If you have any prayer requests or praises, we'd love to hear from you. Just email our pastors and staff at prayers at newhopenc.org, and we would love to pray for you. If you'd like to support the ministries of New Hope, just stop by one of our campuses or visit us online at newhopechurch.org. We hope you'll join us next week for the podcast. And thanks for being a part of our church family.